I came across this story in Acts. This is what I'm going to preach on. I, I think I'm, I'm trying to like assemble my thoughts here. I feel like what I'm going to speak on this morning is things that I've hit before, but I'm just like kind of hitting the same subject from different angles. I'm just like punching it from all around. That's how I feel anyways. So um, I came across this story in Acts that I, I didn't really know before. Like I felt like I know the Bible pretty good and I know Acts fairly well. And this little story caught my attention, especially one verse that I just can't get out of my mind. And eventually that led to sort of inspiring what I wanted to speak about this morning. It's in Acts 18. Um, usually with Acts, I make it to like, you know, all the beginning stuff. There's like the Holy Spirit coming through, and then there's like Acts 8. It's a great, it's a, it's an amazing uh, chapter. But it seems like, I kind of like fizzle out almost. I don't know why, but it seems like the latter part of Acts is like a lot of different things happening. There's maybe some shipwrecks, and then there's Paul going to Rome, and then the, the whole book just kind of ends, and I think he's in Rome when it ends, and he appeals to Caesar. And so this Acts 18, I just kind of stumbled across it and read this, uh, uh, this story right here. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to pick out a couple verses. But basically, here's what's happening. Paul ends up in Corinth, and he meets uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They're pretty well known throughout Acts and finds out that they're tent makers. He's a tent maker. And so they both just kind of join in the business together and he's staying there. And um, then they convert Crispus. I think that's how you say it. Maybe not, but they convert this Christmas, Christmas guy, the ruler of the synagogue, and he believes on the Lord, and his whole household also believes. And so it's like good things are happening in this city. And then um, all of a sudden, Paul just gets this vision from the Lord at night. And here's what the vision is. It's just Paul, or it's just the Lord speaking to Paul, and he says, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And then he continues there for a year and six months. And it actually, if you keep on reading down through just several verses later, they actually, um, someone from the uh, synagogue tries to persecute Paul and his believers. And um, it actually ends up being where, like, they have such favor with the city, in a sense, where the ruler of the synagogue or the, the, the person who tried to... Uh, persecute them he gets beaten rather than Paul and it's like completely flipped we're like Paul's like he was often the one that was getting beaten and here it's like the ruler of the synagogue that's getting beaten instead of him and I just love what God has to say here in uh, at 9 and 10 it was like that's what really stood out to me it says do not be afraid but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city and it just stretches my mind because it's like here he's able to stay in this city for a year and six months which when you read through Acts is a long time it seems like every time they get to a city and like try and gain some ground the Jews follow them and they like chase them out of the city or they end up beating them and they're on to the next city and it just happens over and over again then he reaches this city and he has like peace and he can he can do a lot of work here and the reason is because God has many people in the city it's that simple and so it makes me like it, ch it challenges me because it makes me think like how many people does God have in our city or in our town like what what is our town like can God do something here like he did there because he has many people in this city. So it stretches my mind. And I've, I've realized that like in order to, for myself, in order to get to the point where I'm like past myself, looking past my own survival, my, my own life into the city or the town that I'm involved in, um, I have to go past what I now call like, I have to move from like wilderness living to promised land living. And there's something about the story of the Israelites where 
it just so parallels our life today or our Christian walk today. We're like, if well, let me just turn to it real quick. In De- Deuteronomy chapter 8, let me find it quick. Exodus. I don't have a bookmark here. Here it is. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is sort of a summary of the Israelites' time, like in the wilderness, going to the promised land. And God takes them through this season of the promised land for a reason. And he does it with all of us, I think. Like, he takes us through times of our life where, like, we are in the wilderness. And there's good things that can happen from that. He says, uh, I'm just going to jump around in chapter 8. He says, um, and you shall, or in verse 2, he says, And you shall remember the Lord your God led, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments. So he humbled Humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall live not by bread alone, but but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he talks about their garments not wearing out. And uh, in verse 5 it says, So you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. And so he takes him through this whole season of like living in the wilderness for 40 years for good reason. Like he's bringing a people group up. And he does the same thing in my life. But the only problem is, is like sometimes we get too comfortable in the wilderness uh, part of our life. We're like, the time comes for us to cross over into the promised land and actually think like past our own survival and past our, you know, our week-to-week living. And it's hard. And it's sometimes like we almost get too comfortable with where we're at. And God wants to bring us into something more. There's nothing wrong with living in the wilderness. He takes us through seasons of it. But we can't stay in the wilderness. We, there's, there's something more that God has for us. When we can cross over into, like, I'm thinking spiritually, like, into the promised land, that's when you begin to, like, think past yourself and be like, how can I influence my city? How can I influence my town? And they, they get to this point where they're, in the pro, where they're at the threshold. Like, they've got to cross over into the promised land, and they don't want to do it. There's, like, it's pretty scary. And God actually ends up letting, we know the story, I'm sure, he ends up letting that whole generation die off so that he can bring, like, new people and that don't know any better, you know? Maybe that's why I'm, I like working with youth, because it's like, sometimes they don't know any better. That can sometimes be a good thing. <laughs> and so he, he does this where, like, he lets this whole generation die off and brings in these people who they don't have necessarily all that experience or things, you know, in a sense, bogging them down and brings them into the, uh, the promised land. And when you read, like, what happens to the Israelites after they cross over, like, throughout the book of Joshua, it's just crazy. Like, they become a whole different group of people. You know, the time in the wilderness was needed. It was, it was exactly what they needed at the time to move from slavery to where they could establish themselves. But then when they get over into the promised land, it was like they were a force to be reckoned with. When you read how Joshua just, like, came through, and if, I mean, if anyone was in his way, they just, like, eliminated them. I mean, when you read through it, it's like, is there anybody left? Like, he's wiping out the entire population of the earth. It's like somebody comes against them, and they just kill them all, and they just keep going, and they're, they're just this force to be reckoned with. It starts right away with Jericho. They come and reach this city, and like, can't get in, and God does this amazing stuff, and they end up taking the city, and then they just go from conquer to conquer to conquer, and take over, you know, really the promised land. And there's something in that with our own lives where, like, we have something in front of us where we have to get past, in a sense, like I was saying, um, if we have to get past, in a sense, of our own 
maybe survival. I don't think it, living in the promised land, I don't think it has anything to do with like having a nicer house or having nicer things or all that. But it has to do with like for me, mentally, spiritually, like getting past myself to where like I can actually look after things where I'm in a spot, I suppose, to look after people around me rather than just surviving week to week. And there's something that God, he wants to take us through all of that. Um, it, it's, uh, there's this verse in uh, Matthew 16. I love this verse. I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again. It's Jesus talking, and he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter. This was right after Peter said, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I just love that picture he gives where he's like, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So it gives this sense where like in that day, gates were meant to keep people out. Like, that was the protection of a city, was their gates. And if the gates were closed, it was hard to get in because the walls were so huge, usually. I mean, it had to go in through the gate. And here it talks about, like, the gates of Hades, or how, I don't know if it makes a difference, are not able to prevail against the church actually getting in. So it gives this, this um, example of, like, the church attacking hell through its gates. You know, we often, like, hear about the devil attacking the church, but this is, like, flipped the other way, and it's, like, the church attacking, attacking hell to the point where, like, the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against it. And so it gives this, like, offensive stance, you know, similar to where the Israelites, they go through the, the promised land, where, like, hell doesn't stand a chance, where if we just believe this, the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against the attacks of the church, you could say. And it just stretches my mind and makes me think differently. You know, I, I never used to, when I think about, like, back to this, for I have many people in this city type verse, uh, when I think about Penyan, like, <clears throat> excuse me, just the thought of, like, everybody in this, like, having many people in this city um, become under the lordship of Christ and a part of his kingdom, it's just, like, too big of a thought for me. Like, I was like, how could that ever be possible? How could a whole city come under the lordship of Christ? But Jesus actually calls us to disciple nations. And so his dream is like so much bigger than mine. So if he calls us to disciple nations, <laughs> I better start with a city. And there's, there's something, that, first of all, like for me just to think that, I've come to realize is selfish. Like if God reached me, he can reach anyone. And I, I'm like, I, you could say, well, Jesse, you grew up in the church. Like you had a great family. And that, all that's true, but I still had to make the choice for myself. All of us have to make the choice for ourselves, and I still have to keep making that choice and keep following Christ. And it's like, if he reached me, I don't know if I, I don't think of anything special, but I, I made the decision, I followed Christ, still working on following him. He can reach anybody. He really can. And it's so easy for us to think, oh, God, you know, that, that person, I don't know, that person's pretty far out there. But God can reach anyone. And the second thing is, is, like, I think the biggest reason why, like, the whole concept of having many people in this city that are actually under the Lordship of Christ to the point where, like, a whole city is to the point where, like, we have so much freedom to do what Paul is doing in that story. And it just seems impossible to me. And I think the, one of the big reasons is because I often, like, muddle the simplicity of the gospel based on my own like mindset and cultures and what I grew up in. Like if you were to ask me years ago, what would Penyan look like if everybody was under the Lordship of Christ? On my from my culture, from my background, <laughs> it would it'd be different than what it is now. I would have probably said something like, well, there wouldn't be any bars, you know? 
because I grew up in a very conservative setting, the whole thing of bars, you know, associated with alcohol and all that. thought, well, there wouldn't be any bars. But then, you know, read the, read the story of Jesus actually turned water into wine. Like, he made an alcoholic drink. And so I suddenly stepped back, and I'm like, wait a minute. That actually doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. It doesn't have anything to do with, like, the whole, the whole it's, it's very controversial here, especially, like, in the States, like, the whole thing of, like, drinking alcohol. It doesn't have anything to do with accepting Christ as your Savior and being, you know, just saying yes to him. And so suddenly I realized, wait a minute, I'm muddling my own beliefs, my own preferences with the simplicity of the gospel. You could also say, like, well, Wellspring isn't a big enough church for them. You know, if everybody came under the lordship of Christ, where would they all go to church? And it's like, you don't have to go to church to become a follower of Jesus. It's great. I, would, I mean, that's changed my life more so much, and I would highly, highly recommend it. But when I look at, like, when I keep stripping it down and saying, what does it take for someone to become a follower of Jesus, it just takes a yes. It just takes a yes, God. I want to I wanna come to you. It takes a belief in Jesus coming under his lordship. From there, it's just the beginning. From there, the walk just begins. But the, at the entry is simple. It's very simple. He's made it that way. He's done everything for us and just says, come to me. He's like the prodigal. He's like the father waiting for his prodigal son. There's still a response that's required on our end, but it's a simple response. And so when I think about it that way, I'm like, okay, okay what does it take for people to become under the lordship of Christ here in Penyan? It just takes a yes. From there, I don't know. I don't know what will happen. I don't know what the city would look like, but I know it's it's I complicate it too many times, and I find that I'm muddling it. We're all allowed to have our own beliefs, preferences, things that we'd recommend, don't recommend. But be careful how you make that, turn that into like a, it's Jesus, and then this way. It's, you have to say yes to Jesus, and then live this certain way. Because the gospel is so simple, and it's so powerful. And I often like mess it up by my own background, by my own culture, by my own beliefs, without even realizing it. Um, there's this story in Matthew 13. I love these parables about the kingdom. Jesus just shares so many parables about the kingdom. And he gives this one in Matthew 13, 47 and 48. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. And it just like, it's like thrown out in the sea and it just drags everything with it. It takes all the fish of every kind. And then it gets to the shore and then there's some sorting that happens. And they throw the good, the bad out and keep the good. But he gives this picture of like, the kingdom of heaven, it just takes people in a sense, like, there's a sorting that happens, but it just, it's like this net cast out in the sea and just takes people with it. He gives another one that's very similar in uh, Matthew 22. He gives this whole parable of this king that's arranging a marriage for his son. And so he, he tells that this king has this marriage for his son, so the king sends out invites for uh, the son's wedding, and none of the people that they invite come, which is pretty humiliating. The king is angry. He's like, none of my guests are coming to my son's wedding. And so he tells his servants... He says, so the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So it again gives this picture of like this, the kingdom, like casting this net and just dragging people in, both bad and good. And then they keep reading the story and there's, a, there's somebody in there without a wedding garment and he gets thrown out. And so it still gives us the responsibility to make the choice. We have a response. But I think so many times, like for myself, I try to sort the fish before I catch them, in a sense. We're like... <laughs> You know, I want to know what I'm catching. I want to know what, what it's going to look like before I catch it. And that's just not how the kingdom works. Like, I'm, it's, it's, 
you bring the you bring the people in, and I'm I'm curious to see like, well, curious to see like what this church will look like as we continue to influence our town. You know, it's the kingdom truly is a dragnet. It truly does bring people in, and the more people it brings in, the more people it brings in, and there's there's gonna be. Uh, <laughs> It's going to be, it can be messy. It can be complicated. But so many times for myself, like, I try and sort too much, like, I don't know, who I'm, with, who, who I'm like, trying to impact before, before it's too early. I do it too early. Um, and so I just love the picture it gives where it's, like, the kingdom just, it just takes people. It just has a, set, a way of, like, taking people. I don't know everyone's heart. I don't know where everyone's at. But I think I make it too complicated so many times. I really, I mean, I'm not going to go much longer. This is going to be short this morning, but I, my goal this morning was to just cause us to dream bigger for our town, dream bigger for our community, and realize that, like, I would love to see Penyan become, and I think it is, see it become a community where God's like, keep doing what you're doing, for I have many people in this city. You guys are all right. Keep going where you're going, for I have many people in this city. I'd love to just dream bigger in that way. I'd love to bring us back to the simplicity of the gospel and say, you know, really to start, to start, to get someone started in walking in the kingdom simply takes a yes to Christ. You can figure kind of the rest out later, but it takes a yes to Christ. That's the, that's the entry. It has to be through Christ. Um, and then I just wanted to I guess, inspire us and show us that we have work to do. There's things that are still waiting for us to do here in this community, here in this town. There's one more parable here in Luke 19. Um, Jesus is speaking to, well, I guess people that are listening. Um, And the beginning of the parable starts this way. I think it's 11. It says, Now as they heard these things, he, meaning Jesus, spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And then he gives this whole parable about uh, passing out the money and like this person gets this much, this person gets this much, this person gets this much and take care of what I've given you. And um, so he, but he says this whole parable because he suddenly, he sees these people and he suddenly realizes he's like, oh, they think that because we're near Jerusalem, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God right away. And so he stops them because of that thought that he sees in them. He stops them and says, no, 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 no. Like in, another, like in my words, he's like, this is a long process. And he compares himself to a king who goes away to another country and hands the responsibility over to his servants to keep growing what he started. And I think that's what he's t- saying for us today is like, I don't know when he's coming back, but we have work to do, and he has things for us to do. He has, he's given us, he's given us uh, things that we can use to continue growing, and so many times we like, we're in a sense, we're like almost expecting, like we're, we're like these people here where we're, we're expecting Jesus to, uh, in a sense, fix all of our problems, and he wants to, he wants to work with us, but he has a responsibility for us to carry while he's away, in a sense. So he's a, he's a king that's gone away to receive a kingdom for himself, and he gives these people these, par- these talents or these minas of this money, and they have a responsibility. And I look at that, and I'm like, I got a responsibility to grow what God has given me. I don't know when he's coming back, but when he does come back, I want to be able to have invested and or grew whatever he's given me, whenever that happens. I don't know when, but that's what I want my response to be. I want to be the guy that has the 10 minus. Um, and so I think we have work to do. We have work to do here, like in this town. We have work to do in our community or whatever your community a part of. And I just wanted to 
stretch our minds in a sense. We're like, boy, I want to see Penyan become a, a town where it's like, for I have many people in this city. Keep doing what you're doing. And I think like God has so many things in store for us, especially in the next season ahead. You know, with we're going to two services. This is the second to last service, I think, before we start two services. I think there's growth coming. And I, I don't think you have to be prophetic to see that. I just think that there's growth coming. And I'm just curious to see, like, what the year ahead in our church is going to look like, what the years ahead. I think there's a lot of growth coming, and we have to learn how to handle that. And that when I look at, like, okay, so I want, I want this city to become a city under Christ. Like, what is my response? Like, practically speaking, what am I supposed to do? I just keep coming back to Romans 12. The end of Romans 12 is just such a beautiful chapter where it like practically tells us how to live our lives here. Actually, the title of it is Behave Like Christians. So I wanted to bring up, let me see, 13 volunteers to read uh, these verses. I thought it would be just a fun way to end this. Um, so could I have 13 volunteers to come up here, line up in the front. You're going to be you're gonna be asked to read a verse. So you might want your phone or your Bible with you. And I just want to go through Romans 12. And I thought it would just be really fun to like hear it from us because we're a body, we're a community. And I think Romans 12 just has something for my own life and hopefully for something you, for, for something for you on like how to just practically walk in this whole thing where we call, you know, the Christian walk or the Christian life. So, could I have 13 volunteers just come on up? We'll stop when we reach 13. Bring your phone or your Bible. There's two. As long as you can read. Yeah, I'm going to have to call people out. Okay, there's five. <laughs> well, we can just all awkwardly look at each other until we get too uncomfortable and we get 13. <laughs> Doesn't matter. One, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven doesn't matter. We're almost there. What do we got here? Three, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We need one more, right? <laughs> oh, you're almost standing up there, Larita. <laughs> no, you'll do great. You know, we're a we're a body. We see that in the scripture all the time. We're a, we're a body. And like I was saying, I, I feel like the more we grow, the messier it will get. It's just that's how church works. We're people. We're together. The more we grow, the messier it will get. We will grow. We're having two services coming up here. There will be more and more people coming in. And um, it's, that's when you run the risk of a church split, it seems like. Whenever that happens where there's just like so many opinions and so many people, that you run that risk. I've been a part of a church split, really, when I grew up. And I just hate to see that happen here with Wellspring. And I, just, I think if we can continue to grow well, we can actually impact this town to the point where, like, God... God can look at this city, this town, and say, I have many people in this city. Just continue. Keep doing what you're doing. I have many people in this city. It really is. It's that simple. Um, but we can't let uh, 
I guess the enemy, the devil, bring us down in a sense. We're like ripping us apart the more we grow. So it's always fun. Like I was a part of Wellspring in the early days. Uh, and when it was, we were all able to fit up in the library of the First Baptist Church in a sense. We remember being there one Sunday. And it's just, you look back on those days and like, it's, it's like bittersweet. I really like it. But at the same time, like there's just so much influence, I think, that we have here in our community. All of us, I think, have... Um, have avenues of influence into the lives of people who aren't here but who are a part of our community. And um, there's just so much, I think, that God can do with this group as long as we can keep Romans 12 in front of us. I feel like, for me, that's the one that I want to keep right here. It's such a simple verse, such a, such a simple uh, chapter, but it's powerful. So we're going to start at verse 9 and go to the end to 21. I want just everybody here to read one verse. Just work your way down to the line. Why don't we start over there on my left? If you could start at verse 9. Do we? Maybe I should pass the mic. I know the mics can be a little scary, but um, you can just pass the mic and kind of hold it up near your head or near your face and uh, read... Verse 9, right? Yeah. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep, pray keep on praying. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's give my hand. Thanks. Can we stand? Isn't it so simple? I mean, really, that's it. It's from Romans 12, 9 to the end of the chapter. It's just a, such a simple yet powerful way to live, I think, for us as a body in order to impact this community, in order to impact this town, in order to become like what I see there in Acts 18. It's, it's just taking that verse by verse and letting it sink deep into my own life. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for us in the next year ahead. And I just, I have to keep myself moving past myself, moving past my own survival in a sense where like, I'm like, God, this life is bigger than me. What do you have for this town? What do you have for this, 
this world that I'm a part of. This is, this is in a sense, my world and my community. Like, how, what, what do you want me to do? And um, I just want to keep that, those verses in front of me. And I think if we do keep them in front of us, believe them, we're going to handle this growth very well. And it will be, it will be powerful for our community. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you so much for this body, this body of, of people. We're all so different, different backgrounds, even in different beliefs in a sense. And um, there's just something that's so pure about the way that you brought these people together for a common goal, you know, to bring your kingdom here, to bring people under your lordship and under your influence, Lord. And I pray that we could just learn how to represent you well in this town, in this community, or wherever we're from, Lord, that we would learn how to bear your name well in a way that, that you would bear it, Lord, when you were here on this earth. God calls us to dream bigger. I just welcome you into my thoughts. Just stretch me, grow me. Don't, don't let me settle. Cause us to dream bigger, dream, dream for what you have for us. You call us, Lord. You call us to disciple nations. God, I pray that we could start with a town. Amen. Amen.